Good afternoon and welcome to Uncle Paul's Jazz Closet. This is your host, Cindy McGurl, bringing you the music of jazz drummer Paul Modian, music he inspired, music he created, and music he was inspired by. Um, This week's show is a repeat of a show that I made on March 7th, 2014, one of my early shows titled Joe Castro, Bill Evans, Gary Peacock, Paul Blay. And um, in the beginning of that show, I forgot to press the record button, so I started with a reading. So I'm I'm, uh, re-recording it now. And um, also practicing for maybe making some shows at home. Um, So I read, um, well, first I want to thank my sponsors on WRFR, local, low-power radio um, here in Rockland, Maine. And they would be The Curator and Dowling Walsh Gallery, both currently closed because of the pandemic and uh, Rockport Automotive in Rockport. Um, It's a pretty crazy, weird, sad, terrible time. Um, We've lost many great jazz musicians. Uh, Just heard that Henry Grimes also has passed away. Uh, And my heart goes out to musicians and their families. And uh, New York City, wow, really hit really hard. So really sorry to hear it. And um, I hope we can uh, turn things around. So uh, stay home, listen to music. And um, so I started this show with a reading from Paul Modian's unpublished autobiography. Two weeks at the Dream Bar in Miami with Zoot Sims, March 31st, 1959, to April 12th with a matinee on Sunday afternoon. Quote, can I bring my wife? Sure. Most of the time I tried to convince Sam to stay in our hotel room when I was playing. Our marriage was in bad shape. Sam was drinking heavily. She might create a scene if she came in the club. Hey, Paul, I think I saw your wife come in. Excuse me, I forgot to start the recording tape. Um, I thought she was cool and everything would be okay. I was concerned about her drinking and hoped she wouldn't start any trouble. We were in the middle of playing our set and people were dancing. Two beautiful women dancing with each other got my attention. Crash. What the beep was that, Zoot said. A beer bottle had whizzed by Zoot's head, just missing him by inches, and went crashing against the black wall. Broken glass everywhere. Sam had thrown a beer bottle at me. She saw me looking at the two women dancing and had gotten pissed off. Luckily, it didn't hit anyone. The manager of the club told me later, keep her out of here. So here we go with... After you've gone from Jazz Alive, a night at the half note.
And that was After You've Gone, a Creamer Layton tune from Jazz Alive and Night at the Half Note, 1959 Fresh Sound Records, Zoot Sims and Al Cohn on tenor sax, Phil Woods on alto sax, Mose Allison on piano, Nabi Tota on bass, and Paul Modian on drums. And I wanted to play a little more um, Mose Allison as well. Here's another tune from Wild Man on the Loose.
That was Mose Allison from the 1965 LP Wild Man on the Loose, Nevermore, a Mose Allison tune. Mose Allison on piano, Earl May on bass, and Paul Modian on drums. January 1965. I was playing with Mose Allison in Birdland, left-handed Earl May on bass. We were on the same bill with John Coltrane and his quartet. There was a policy at the club that when one band finished playing, the other band was to immediately get on stage and begin their set. No lulls. We had just finished our set. Pee-wee came up to me as I walked off the stage. Paul, you must play with Coltrane. John's drummer hasn't showed yet. He's really late and you have to help us out. At first I refused. John's drummer was Elvin Jones, and Elvin was a strong presence in that band. I had never played with Train before, and was not all that familiar with their music. Jimmy Garrison was the bass player, and we had played together quite often. I didn't really want to do it, but the management of the club and Pee-wee were insistent. Finally, I agreed and ended up playing a few pieces, pieces with them. Elvin showed up after a song or two and relieved me. I remember thinking at the time that I had to try and not play or sound anything like Elvin, which would be difficult because he was such a strong player and a major part of the sound of that band. It was quite an experience. I managed to get through it, and I feel lucky that I had the opportunity to play with John Coltrane. And I'm going to play a piece from the best of John Coltrane with that same lineup recorded in 1963.
and that was John Coltrane, Afro Blue, a John Coltrane tune, and it was live at Birdland on Impulse Records, uh, recorded in 1963. John Coltrane on saxophone, uh, McCoy Tyner on piano, Jimmy Garrison on bass, and Elvin Jones on drums. And you are listening to WRFR Community Radio, Rockland, Maine, 93.3 FM, and streaming online at wrfr.org. I don't remember if it was only the one night or if the situation presented itself another evening, Um, and we're still talking here about playing at Birdland with John Coltrane for Paul. I think it happened a few times. Afterwards, at the end of the night, we sat down in the corner booth and talked. John asked me where I was playing next. Was I going on the road with Mose? No, Mose usually travels by himself and uses local musicians. John seemed impressed. I wish I had my playing in music as together as that. I have to have my regular band with me at all times. I never understood that until I became a band leader myself and realized what he meant. Mose Allison had such a way of playing, and his style was such that it didn't matter who he had in his band. John felt he had to have Elvin Jones, Jimmy Garrison, and McCoy Tyner. Another reason John asked me about my future schedule was he liked my playing. He said I sounded good and asked, What do you think about having two drummers in a band? I never played with him again, but he did add another drummer later. It was Rashid Ali. I loved John Coltrane. His band was incredible. He was one of the greatest saxophone players of all time and a beautiful, gentle, soft-spoken, wonderful man. John Coltrane died July 17, 1967. He was 40 years old. So I'm going to play a Mose Allison tune followed by another John Coltrane tune so you can get a feeling for being at Birdland in 1963.
That was Alabama, a John Coltrane tune from the 1963 Impulse recording, The Best of John Coltrane. 
And again, it was John Coltrane on saxophone, McCoy Tyner on piano, Jimmy Garrison on bass, and Elvin Jones on drums. And then that was Powerhouse before that by Mose Allison from Wild Man on the Loose, 1965 recording with Earl May on bass and Paul Modian on drums. And that was the lineup you could have seen at Birdland in 1965. March and April 1965 were spent at the Hickory House with Joe Castro. Teddy Kotick played bass. I liked playing there. It was known as a steakhouse, so we usually ate well and the pay was good for that time. One night I snorted a lot of heroin and paid for it dearly. When I felt so sick, I just walked off the bandstand in the middle of the set and walked home, all the way up Central Park West, puking and miserable for quite a while afterwards. I recorded Wild Man on the Loose with Mose Allison for Atlantic Records and recorded with Joe Castro and Teddy Kotick. This record was never released. We did it on Joe's record label. Joe added saxophone player Teddy Edwards on the recording at a later date. Again, some odd jobs came up, and I did them thinking, don't never turn down any gigs. I played a job once when my father was laying dead in his casket in our parlor, and his, my drum teacher, Yank Ragosta, told me. Um, so I never knew that Paul did heroin. I think he maybe he just tried it that one time because I thought he didn't do drugs at all. So, But he definitely didn't do that later on. Um, and I happened to have that Joe Castro recording, and it was never released. But I'm going to play a bunch of it for you. Um, and you'll see, you can see why it wasn't released. Um, it's really like a jam se session, but there's some fun stuff on it. And it was put out, um, recorded for Ca for Clover Records, which was Joe Joe's record label that he had with his companion Doris Duke, and also Duke Ellington was a backer of it. So here's Satin Doll, uh, Duke Ellington and Billy Strayhorn tune from Remind Me the Joe Castro Trio.
And that was the Joe Castro Trio, consisting of Joe Castro on piano, Teddy Kotick on bass, and Paul Modian on drums, Satin Doll. And that's from the unreleased Remind Me LP. I'm going to read a little bit from Paul's book. Um, Joe was a special friend, a good pianist, not well known among jazz aficionados, but played okay nonetheless. Since he was hanging out with Doris Duke, there were fringe benefits. She doesn't really give me any money, but I have the use of the chauffeur and the Fifth Avenue apartment and the different houses that she owns around the world, Joe said. Sometimes I would be picked up by chauffeured limousine for rehearsals at the penthouse apartment on Fifth Avenue. A bottle of cognac Uh for me on the back seat. Later I found out that Doris flipped out when she heard about the cognac. It seems it was a special rare bottle that came from Napoleon's cellar and was one of a kind. So here's another tune from the LP Remind Me. That was Things Ain't What They Used to Be, a Mercer Ellington tune from the Joe Castro LP Remind Me, 1965 Clover Records. And I'm going to read one more piece. 
I don't remember how or when I met the pianist Joe Castro, but I worked with him from time to time. We played at the club Basin Street East in New York, and I played in his trio at a club in Honolulu. I liked him. He really got along well with my wife, Sam. Joe liked to drink. The two of them would get plastered sometimes. Sam and I were picked up one day by chauffeured limo and driven to Duke Farms, a 2,700-acre estate in Hillsborough, New Jersey, owned by Doris Duke. We spent the day there. It included a tour of the farm. We were shown Duke Gardens, which had 5,000 varieties of plants in 11 greenhouse rooms open to the public. The servants had their own homes on the property. We viewed dozens of cows in a large barn being milked by special machinery. A wonderful dinner was provided, and there were some slight catastrophes. Doris was great. She showed lots of patience. Sam broke some expensive furniture, spilled drinks all over the place. Joe, at one point, pissed over a balcony onto the indoor tennis court. I felt ashamed and helpless. Sam and Joe liked to take things to the extreme. They liked each other, got along well. Good drinking buddies. I survived the day, and Sam and I were driven home that night. Doris was very understanding. She called me the next day and cooled me out. Don't let it get you down, she said. So I'm going to take us to the top of the hour with some more from the LP, Remind Me. It's going to take me a minute here to get it going.
Welcome back to Uncle Paul's Jazz Closet. I want to thank my sponsor, the Camden Conference. And I've got some more early mid-60s music for you for the second half, and I'm going to read some more. In the summer of 1962, Gary Peacock became a member of the trio. Cannonball Adderley recommended him. Bill and I had been sitting backstage in the Vanguard on our break one night when Cannon came back there. During our conversation, he said, Bill, you ought to check out this bass player from California. I think you'd like him. Chuck Israels had been playing with us. He was a wonderful player, but I don't think he was connected to Bill like Scott was. The trio, now with Gary Peacock playing bass, played Ross in Schenectady, New York. It was Gary's first gig with the trio. His style was similar to Scott LaFaro's, and he fit right in. We hadn't rehearsed at all. Gary had sat in with us one night at the Vanguard. When I asked him if he wanted to work with us, he agreed. I was excited. Things looked good. The future was going to be full of music. The gigs would be plentiful. I looked over at Bill as we played that first night at Roth's and saw him smile. More magic. Bill was happy. He didn't even mind that he had to play on a small spinet piano. Very seldom does it happen when musicians form a group and everything works so well. Very rare. We were lucky to have Gary. We went to Montreal in August for a two-week gig. Bill was really messed up on that gig. He couldn't get the dope he wanted and had people in Montreal get him some morphine. I thought at the time that he did more than enough to kill an elephant, and the music showed it. Bill would play one tune, and somewhere in the middle of it, he would go into something else. He would be playing Milestones one minute, and all of a sudden he would change to My Foolish Heart. It went on all night. He would switch from a ballad to a fast tune, then back to a ballad. Gary and I wondered what was happening. It was maddening. We would change gears, switch grooves and tempos as Bill would change up. People in the audience were totally unaware as to what was happening. Bill disguised it well. So did Gary and I. If that happened today, it might be hip and possibly a new way to present the music. But back then, it was a spoiler and a disaster. So I'm going to play from the Bill Evans Trio 64 that was recorded in December of 1963 with uh, Gary Peacock on bass and Paul Modian on drums.
That was the Bill Evans Trio from the LP Trio 64, Always, and Bill Evans on piano, Gary Peacock on bass, and Paul Modian on drums. It's from a December 1963 Verve recording. We went... With Gary back in the trio, we recorded the album Trio 64 for Verve Records on December 18, 1963. Creed Taylor was the producer, and the atmosphere in the studio was terrible. I felt uncomfortable. Creed and Gary were arguing about the music most of the time. What's the drummer doing? I can't get with this music. It's too difficult to listen to, the producer said. After a while, we just wanted to finish the recording and get out of there. The recording, surprisingly, is really good. Always, for heaven's sake, dancing in the dark, my heart stood still. And uh, those are all the tunes I'm going to play for you today. Um, You've already heard Always, and here is For Heaven's Sake.
For Heaven's Sake from Bill Evans Trio 64 I'm going to read a little bit about um, from May of 1964 and this is when uh, Paul, the Bill Evans Trio was playing at Shelley's Manhole in Los Angeles During the two weeks at Shelley's the music was starting to get me down It wasn't happening for me it was going downhill and fast. I was forced to play extremely soft. I was always playing with brushes. I felt like I wasn't there at all, so I quit. I even paid for part of my transportation back to New York. Bill begged me to stay. The trio was to play in San Francisco next and then go to Europe for the first time. I couldn't do it anymore. Bill was doing a lot of drugs, and I was unhappy with the music. It was the same music, night after night. I got bored. I miss Gary. I miss Scott. It depressed me to watch Bill play as if by rote. I, along with Gary, tried to get Bill to expand the repertoire. It was no use. Bill wouldn't change anything. We weren't going anywhere. Bill was my first love, but I was doing gigs with lots of other great players during that period. There was so much new stuff happening in jazz in New York, so much great music. I wanted to be a part of it. I came back east and got involved playing with the pianist Paul Blay and with the Jazz Composers Guild Orchestra. The music I was playing with Blay and Peacock interested me much more and felt more advanced than what was happening with Bill. It was different. It had more action, movement. With Bill, it was sounding more and more like a club date. So on that tour, I'm not sure who the bassist was, but it, um, Gary Peacock was on tour with Albert Ayler at the time. So I don't know if it was Chuck Israels or somebody else. But um, I know that Paul told me that he felt bad about leaving, uh, quitting in the middle of a tour. And uh, he said, you know, if somebody did that to me today, I'd be really pissed off. And I think that uh, Bill Evans actually took it, took it pretty well. But next I'm going to play um, from the CD Paul Blay with Gary Peacock. And this was recorded in 1963, but it wasn't released, I think, until 1969 or 1970. And the first song here is More. It's a composition by Gary Peacock. Thank you. 
That was Trio 64 from Bill Evans, Dancing in the Dark, Bill Evans on piano, Gary Peacock on bass, and Paul Modian on drums. A 1963 Verve recording. A nine-week stay at the Vanguard, an unusually long time for a gig at one club, even back then. We could have stayed longer, but Bill didn't want to. Max asked our trio to back singers and other acts. He wanted us to be the house trio. Gary and I were asked to be the house rhythm section and play without Bill. We refused. Helen Keene, Bill's manager, had made up a contract for the trio to play the Vanguard for six months. We didn't do that either. Bill showed up late on opening night. Max was nervous. Where's Bill? He's already 15 minutes late. When Bill finally showed up, he took Gary and I aside. Hey, guys, come to the back of the club. I want to talk to you. You guys will have to play a lot of solos tonight. I messed up my hand shooting dope. I can't use my right hand. Bill played the whole night with just his left hand. Once in a while, he'd plop his right hand down onto the keyboard. It was incredible that he still sounded good, still played great. Bill was left-handed, and maybe that had something to do with it. He played like that for three nights before people realized that something was wrong. No one said or did anything about it.
like to try to make the figures because uh, I don't know what they are. Not no, to try to make the figures. No, but I...
You are listening to WRFR, Low Power Radio, Community Radio in Rockland, Maine, 93.3 FM, streaming online at WRFR.org. You just heard Paul Blay with Gary Peacock and Paul Modian on drums, and that is a 1963 recording, um, put but not put out by ECM Records until 1970. That tune was Getting Started, written by Paul Blay. And before that, we heard from Trio 64, Bill Evans, My Heart Stood Still, 1963 recording on Verve, and both featuring uh, Gary Peacock on the bass. Take Three was the name of a jazz club on Bleecker Street. The music was great. The money was awful. I was part of a band with Paul Blay, Gary Peacock, saxophonists Albert Ayler, and John Gilmore. The music was exciting. The playing, fantastic. Albert sounded so strong. He sounds like a gigantic ocean liner coming into port. That's what I thought one night as we were playing. You could not deny it. I loved it. We played there for three weeks, and it was some of the best times, musical times, that I remember. Sometimes I made one dollar a night, sometimes two, and sometimes five dollars a night. I didn't care. The music was happening. So I couldn't find a recording um, with Albert Ayler. I don't think Paul ever recorded with him. Um, but I do have this CD called Turning Point, and it has Paul Blay on piano, Gary Peacock on bass, John Gilmore on tenor saxophone, and Paul Modian on drums. It was recorded in May of 1968. It's put out by improvising artists in Italy. And this tune is called Ictus, and it's written by Carla Blay.
That was Turning, a Paul Blay composition from Turning Point, a May 1968 recording from improvising artists in Italy. Paul Blay on piano, Gary Peacock on bass, John Gilmore on tenor saxophone, and Paul Modian on drums. And before that, we heard Blues by Ornette Coleman, and that's from Paul Blay with Gary Peacock, recorded in 1963 and put out on ECM Records with Paul Blay piano, Gary Peacock bass, and Paul Modian drums. And at the top of the set, we heard another tune from Turning Point, and that was a Carla Blay composition, Ictus. So I have one more short reading for you. Um, It's kind of my, I call these my words of wisdom from Paul. Success is luck and circumstance, and being at the right place at the right time. There's a lot to say for that. The natural flow of things, of life. Talent and musicianship and abilities have nothing to do with it. A person can spend thousands of dollars on agents in order to make one visible, and then there really are no guarantees. So if you have questions, comments, or suggestions, um, you can check out jazzcloset.blogspot.com and there's links there to the podcasts of the show and the set list will be posted there and then there's also a link to a Facebook page so I'll try to have the podcast up tonight and the show is the first three Fridays of the month so I'll be here again next week and I believe that is March 14th and thanks for listening and I'm going to take us to the top of the hour with a little bit more recent Paul Blay CD called Fragments. And it's Paul Blay on piano, Bill Frizzell on guitar, John Sermon on saxophone and clarinet, and Paul Modian on drums. It's a 1986 ECM recording, and this is a Paul Modian composition for the love of Sarah. 